to ALI, as you guys know. And he sat down with Brother Readout, and he said, Brother Readout, what will it take for you to come to California? And Brother Readout says, well, an invitation. If you pay for my airfare, motel, and food. He, and Brother Michael said, so we don't have to give you an offering? He said, no. <laughs> so I called up Brother Readout today. I said, Brother Readout, do you remember this conversation that you had with Michael? And uh, he said, I don't remember the exact wording. I said, Michael asked you if you would come to California. He goes, knowing me, this is probably what I said. An invitation. <laughs> and he said exactly what you said, Michael. And I said, so here I am. I'm extending an invitation. So I just need to know when you can come out. So uh, it looks like November he has opened. So, and that's exactly when I was hoping for, November he has end of October, and that's going to be during our 40 days. And we're going to try to get him here for at least one week. We will do a, a setting like an ALI Advanced. Will there be some teaching during the day? We, we might open it up for some Q&A. Um, you guys never seen a, a Q&A till you've seen Brother Readout do a Q&A. There's nothing like it, is there, Brother Michael? There's nothing like it. I've never seen anything like it. What's that? It's thir he's thorough, very thorough. Um, so um, I wanted to have him here for two weeks. I said, Brother Reed, you know, I want you here for at least one week, but I prefer two weeks, and he laughed. So he said, all right, uh, I won't book anything for November till I hear back from you. So we are looking into getting an Airbnb here in Placerville, and then um, so... Uh, you guys are going to really enjoy um, Brother Readout, his ministry. Um, he is um, a teacher. He is quite a teacher. And um, I have spent many, many countless thousands of hours going through his material, many hours. I've on the phone with him. As you know, I flew out there, spent one-on-one -on -one time with him for three days. And um, he told me, I mean, we'd meet early in the morning. We'd be in his office all day. And he said, you flew out on your expense. He goes, I'm, we'll, I'll stay up as long as, and I was getting tired. <laughs> he was willing to keep going. So, and I was feeling bad. I'm like, here he is, you know. But um, he loves to share what the Lord has given him. And so um, I had a notebook full of stuff, and I came back with a lot of stuff um, that he gave me. And um, it's just, um, I, I can't even, um, so while I'm on the phone with him, Brother Smith called me three times, and I didn't answer. I just texted him quickly, I'll call you back in a little bit. So I called him back, and I said, I was on the phone with Brother Readout. He said, oh, brother. <laughs> so he said, if that happens, keep me in the loop. I want to be there, Brother Smith. So, um, so we're looking forward to that. So sometime in November... Um, early November uh, is what I'm hoping for. November, maybe fly him out on a Thursday or Friday looking for the best um, air. Uh, usually the weekends is not the cheapest time to fly, but maybe if we can fly him in on a Thursday, Friday, then we'll start on the Monday. Give him a few days to settle in, 
We'll start on that Monday and do like an ALI advanced for the week. And then we'll have that little, little time for him to relax and maybe we'll take him to do, see some things he's never seen or whatever in California. So anyways, um, that's what we're hoping for. Just wanted to let you guys know, give you guys a heads up. Um, so I'm excited about that. And then I texted Chris from the Grange. Um, I texted her yesterday. And um, I asked her if we can get an extension on the dumpster because they were supposed to pick it up today because we weren't quite full. We want to throw some more stuff in there. And then she said yes. And then she said she is going to call the state grain. She's going to get on that. We went out to eat last night with the Mcatees, And when we were leaving, there's Chris. She's back from her three-week trip. She was walking into the restaurant. We were walking out. And so... Um, so she said she's going to be calling the state grange and she said we have to get this thing pushed through we have to get this thing pushed through and so she's really going to be pushing for it so just to let you guys know that's the most recent update i can give so um other than that i think that um god is sovereign he's on the throne and um you know Whatever he wants to happen, that, that's what I want to happen. <laughs> Amen. So, all right, let's just uh, go through this. Oh, boy, I don't have much time. And I, there's a lot, lot of really great things that I wanted to cover tonight. But um, let me just quickly uh, just give a little bit of a recap from last week, just a slight recap of where we were. Um, so, uh, we were talking about, uh, liberty. If you guys remember bondage, liberty, what does it mean to have liberty? What does it mean to be in bondage? A lot of people say, you know, remember the old song, I choose to be a Christian. I choose to be like him. Nobody's making me do it. This is how I want to live. You decide for you. I'll decide for me. Well, part of one of the verses, it says, I met a man the other day who looked at me and said, so many times I've seen your kind before. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're bound by rules and restrictions. So here's a person who doesn't understand what freedom and liberty really is. Because the person who is a sinner is not really free. They're in bondage. The only way that we can ever have liberty, right? He that the Son has set free is free indeed. Is when we have the freedom to choose to do what's right. A sinner doesn't. We, we kind of were picking up. That's kind of where we were at last week. Um, we talked about his death, burial, and resurrection provide a way for us to be born again from our dead condition unto life. Liberty, not the right to do what we want. That's not liberty. But the new desire and power to do what we ought to do. The return of the ability to choose. The return of the ability to choose. So, um, we talked about 1 Peter 2.16 as free and not using your liberty for a cloak 
of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. A criminal in prison has no ability to rob your home. That evil is not one of his choices. When he is set at liberty, he has once again the ability to choose to do good or evil, but not the right to choose evil. The ability, but not the right. Okay, there is a difference. So let's just kind of, that's where we were at last week, but let's just kind of pick up from there. Everyone, doesn't matter who they are, establishes a cutoff point. Um, some people, no matter if they say these guys are too legalistic or these guys are too liberal, everyone has a cutoff point somewhere, right? What is permissible behavior? Well, they have a cutoff point. Even the most liberal person, you know, they might say, hey, what's right for him is right for him. What's right for me is right. Okay, I'll just go ahead. If that's true, what's right for me is in your purse. So I'm going to go ahead and take that. No, 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 no. You can't take my purse. You can't take my money, right? So everyone draws a line. Everyone draws a line somewhere. Everyone believes some actions to be wrong. Everyone draws a line between right and wrong behavior. The location of that line varies from person to person. What you think is right and what Sister Katrina thinks is right might not be the same thing. And it also differs from society to society. You go to some societies, and there's going to be some things that are not acceptable in those societies that are maybe okay in our society and vice versa. Um, even the most liberal brother has a limit establishing that some activities are wrong. So these following passages I'm going to read, they're a little bit lengthy. Um, they establish two facts. Number one, eating meats offered to idols is not a sin. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, being a stumbling block to your weaker brother is a sin. So two points. Eating the meat that's offered to idols, that's not a sin, right? But being a stumbling block to your weaker brother is a sin. So let's read Romans 14, kind of lengthy here, verses 1 through 23. Paul writes, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And um, I used to make fun of the vegetarians when I was a teenager. I'd go to the hometown buffet and I'd skip right past the salad section, go straight to the meats. That's how I, you know, I was as a teenager. So um, I was the stronger brother, according to this passage. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. We talked about that, didn't we? 
a little bit and how some people say, hey, you know, December 25th is not really the day Jesus was born. So I don't know how that we can celebrate Christmas on that day. And so, and then other people say, hey, we're just celebrating and remembering his birth. And to them, they do it to the Lord. And to the other ones, they don't do it. And they're not doing it because of their convictions. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself. No man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that is in these things serveth Christ, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow, oh, he's good, after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine. Well, what if I don't really have a personal conviction against that? It's not my personal... Oh, you don't do that? Well, that's not my conviction. Right? I mean, I've heard people say that my whole life. You know, different people, they, they would just do something, and there's, I'm sorry, it's just not my conviction. And then the other person really believes that it's wrong to do that. So, it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Maybe you understand and you know that you doing this thing would not cause you to backslide. So have that to yourself and to God. Don't be a stumbling block to your brother. Right? Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. 
another lengthy passage. These are the two most lengthy passages for tonight. So um, after that, um, they're shorter, shorter clips. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, also written by Paul. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For, the, for though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish." Through your knowledge, you know that the idol is nothing in the world. And for you to eat this meat that was offered to idols, it's nothing. That idol is nothing. But for that guy who came out of idol worship, we, Sister Kachini, you were saying that you were talking about it. Brother Sharon, Sharon your, your family, you came out of that. So you're very aware of this. But... Um, uh, oh, verse 11, okay. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Question. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. So we talked about deference. We've been talking about that for the last couple weeks. That's the primary principle in all standards. It's the primary principle in all standards of righteousness. Do you think God is offended by the color that you might wear? Do you think God is offended by the length of your sleeves? But your brother or your sister might be. And God is concerned about us not being a stumbling block to our brothers and our sisters. Acts 15, 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled. Wait a second. Paul wrote here in 1 Corinthians 
that an idol is nothing in the world. And here at this council, this church council in Acts chapter 15, now they're putting some rules down for the Gentiles. Even though we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there's none other God but one, and to eat that meat, you know, I'm a, you know, as long as I don't, you know, eat it in front of my brother who's going to be weakened by that. But here's something in Acts 15, 28 that was added. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols. Now they put it into the rules for the, the New Testament church, for the Gentiles. And from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare ye well. So when ye, they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. We talked about this before. In the book of Revelation, there is the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which God said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were convinced and they insisted there is nothing wrong with us eating this meat that's been offered to idols. So they went against this very principle of deference. And God said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So Nicholas, he was right, but he wasn't practicing the principle of deference. So let's look at uh, Revelation 2.14. This is not concerning Nicholas, but this is the doctrine of Balaam. Revelation 2.14, but I have a few, thing, few things against thee. Which church is this, Christy? I thought you were going to say the other Christy. <laughs> Christy. They just went on the seven churches of Revelation tour, and they just taught on it here recently. Revelation 2, 14. He said, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. You remember who Balaam was, the guy with the donkey? And Balak, the king, tried to hire him to curse God's people, and he just wasn't going to do it, Right? But he taught Balak something, it says here, right? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block. This is something God hates, right? I have a few things against thee because you have those people there that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. That's one of the things that God said he had against them. And then we see in verse 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, we already know that eating the things sacrificed unto idols, right? They wrote about that's really nothing except for in Acts chapter 15, the church council said, hey, we're going to 
have the Gentiles no other thing, but hey, don't eat meat that's sacrificed to idols. But Nicholas and that woman Jezebel and those who taught this doctrine of Balaam are saying, hey, this is not a big deal. You can eat meat that's offered and sacrificed to idols. God hates that doctrine. God hates that doctrine to cast a stumbling block before the brothers and sisters. So righteousness, standards of righteousness, when people understand the right principle of deference, it's a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful thing because you don't want to be a stumbling block to your brothers and sisters. You want to dress in such a way that it, and that's showing love for my brothers and my sisters and consideration. So anyways, uh, two principles are involved. One is your right to eat that which you receive with thanksgiving and sanctify it by prayer. We read that in 1 Corinthians 8. The other is protecting your weaker brother's conscience. Which of these two principles is more important? Of those two principles, hey, you know what? I can eat it as long as I give thanks to the Lord. I could put, you know, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. As long as I give thanks to the Lord, I could eat anything. Or the other principle is protecting my weaker brother's conscience. Which one of these two principles is more important? Protecting the weaker brother's conscience. Those who think eating the meat is sinful believe themselves to be the stronger brother because they have a higher standard. Those who think eating the meat is not sinful believe themselves to be the stronger brother because they have a greater understanding of the liberty, liberty that they have in Jesus Christ. So which one truly is the stronger brother? Anybody here want to raise their hand and claim to be the weaker brother? So I'll just raise my hand. I'm probably the weaker brother. So you guys just... Um, <clears throat> to, not, to not be a stumbling block to me, you guys go ahead and uh, dress in a certain way so, you, so that way you don't hinder my walk with God. So, I'll, I'll be the weaker brother. Um, no one ever admits to being the weaker brother, right? Sister Kathy, you've been in church a long time. Have you ever met people that claim to be the weaker brother? No. God uses the weaker brother to lead us into holy perfection out of lukewarmness, Christy. Where's that at? Laodicea, Revelation 3. Revelation 3, verses 15 through 18 says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. 
So why does the Lord Jesus Christ reject the lukewarm? They said this phrase right there in verse 17. They basically said, I don't have need of anything. That's the lukewarm mentality. I have need of nothing. Those who are hot, the ones that are, you know, too strict, they have their needs met by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there are those who are too cold, and they have their needs met by the world. And he says in this passage, I wish you were cold or hot, not lukewarm, because the lukewarm say, I don't need nothing. I don't need nobody. I'm self-sufficient. I have need of nothing. But we do need Jesus. The sooner we get to the place where we realize we need him, you know, I need thee, oh, I need thee. That's, that's a good thing. So, um, a person out there in the world, they see you. And they look at your life and they say, Here, here's brother, no, should I pick on my brother-in-law? Here's brother Bloss, you know, he goes to church and um, he does all the same things I do. There is no difference between he, me and him except he goes to church. So why do I need to go to church? Isn't there a lot of people who call themselves Christians just like that? In fact, there's a lot of people at, in the world, people that have called themselves Christians that other people on the job say, if that's a Christian, I don't want any part of it. You guys know what I'm talking about? There are people that claim to be Christians and they make no difference. And the people in the world are like saying, hey... If that's what a Christian is, they're no different than me, or they're even worse than me. There's no conviction. Uh, if he's closer to God and he does the same things I do, then what's the point of even coming to God? But when there is a difference, when they look and they see there, there's something different about him, there's, uh, there's something different about Brother Bloss. I like what I'm seeing. You know, he's, he's got deeper convictions. He's more honest in the workplace. Um, you know, he has a good work ethic. And, um, you know, they start, they start looking at you and they start saying, he's got something. There's a difference and it might bring some conviction into their life. And they might say, his life is so different than mine. I need to do something about it. I need something that he's got. Now, here's this chart. I wish I could show it to you, but it's really simple. Um, this is really convicting to me. I shared this already before. But this, this has really got me to think. A person who is right with God is a person who is right with men. Because when we're right with God, we know how to treat our neighbor. 
When we're right with God, we know how to treat our spouse and our children and our family members and, you know, our boss at work and our, you know, the, our classmates when we go to school, you know, when we're cut off on the highway by that person who just maybe didn't see us or that person who cuts us off in the line in the grocery store. So we learn because we're right with God, we will be right with men. Those who are not right with God are not right with men. Now, you, in agreement with God and in right relationships with everyone else, even in disagreement, when you are in that place, this is fascinating to me. Um, when you get to that place, listen to this statement. The non-Christian only has a chance of having a right relationship with those who are Christians, truly Christians. I, listen to this. Non-Christian, right relationships are possible only. Listen, for a non-Christian, right relationships are only possible with Christians. That's it. For a non-Christian, the only right relationships that are possible... Now, this is... I'm just going to repeat this because this has really got to me. The only right relationship that is possible for a non-Christian is with a true Christian. That's it. It's only possible. It doesn't mean it will be that way. You not in agreement with God. Right? When you're not in agreement with God, and maybe you're in agreement with others, you won't have a right relationship with others. It won't be right. There's a lot of relationships out there, but right relationships are only possible where a Christian is involved. That's it. What does it say about a husband and wife that are married and one of them, just one of them is saved? Then the children are sanctified, right? That sanctifies that relationship and those children. It doesn't mean that the spouse is saved. But one person who has that right relationship with God, that's what makes it possible. If you are not saved and you are with somebody else that's not saved, you will not be able to have a right relationship. It's impossible. It's only possible where Christians are involved. Deference, limiting my freedom in order to not offend the tastes of those God has called me to serve. Romans 14.21 says, It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. We read that earlier. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to 
another. Deference can make a difference. It can make a difference. And I started practicing this with the brothers and sisters. And I started noticing that um, I had some minister friends who were more, more on the liberal side, and I had some minister friends who were more on the conservative side. And I practiced deference with each one of them. And it can make the difference. I started noticing a difference in my relationships with other ministers. The good things of life are the enemies of the best things of life. We waste time meant for the best things when we do the merely good things. You cannot give your children to God. They are already His. They already belong to Him. God has given them to you for you to raise to His glory. God has given you those children. So parents, bring your children to the house of God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. It's important that you understand this. What a parents allow in moderation, children will excuse in excess. And that guarantees the decline of the Western civilization unless the church decides to make a difference. So I started thinking about these principles, you know, for the past several weeks. I had this opportunity to uh, violate some of the principles. We all do, right? We get these temptations, these opportunities. Somebody gets in your face a little bit. Somebody irritates you a little bit. And so um, last Thursday, I was on the job, and uh, we were had kind of a busy day, and so I found out the superintendent. I've shared this with a couple people. I found out the superintendent of... Uh, the company or the division I'm working under at the moment and the project manager for the job were coming out to do a job walk and the guy that's working with me you know he was um, there too and so he wanted to meet them I had already known the superintendent I had not met the project manager face to face we had talked over the phone but um, so they when they came out um, they had told me you know I told my worker, I said, why don't you get everything cleaned up and it's put away, it's towards the end of the day, and I'm going to go meet them and I'm going to show them where the job is and we're going to walk it. So, um, so it was the end of the day, we walked the job, showed them everything, and then they left. They said, good, it's looking good, guys, you guys are doing a good job, and, you know, they left. It was great. We left. We took Friday off, and I'm getting phone calls, emails saying we left out some bottles, you know, acetylene, oxygen, acetylene bottles, which not allowed to be left out because we use it for burning and, um, and uh, not allowed to be left out and pictures being taken and they were just saying, oh man, this is bad, this is not allowed. And immediately I'm thinking, oh. I thought, I thought my worker would have, clean that up because we talked about doing cleanup and I didn't even double check and I said well, you know what I'm not gonna I'm the foreman I got to take responsibility 
And so, um, so I said, yeah, yeah, we missed that. You know, we just, we kind of got sidetracked a little bit because we had a job walk. And so, yeah. And so, uh, the guy that works for the general contractor called me and he said, and I answered this one. He said, Jim, my, he said, just like this, he said, Jim, my man. He said, man, I, I'm really sorry I had to do this. He goes, but my boss was looking at me, so I had to send out this email. And I felt like he was almost like apologizing that he had to do this to me. I said, hey, you know, you're just doing your job. I, I get it. I understand. So, um, so, you know, Monday I went to a different job. Did it in, in, in Kaiser, South Sacramento. And then we did a job walk over there. So I didn't even go down to the Vallejo job. And then Tuesday, um, I was at a supply house at 6 o'clock, so I missed the, the stretch and flex when the, everyone is out there and all the big bosses are stretching and they go one by one to the foreman's. I missed it. Whew. I wasn't there for that because I was picking up supplies and I got there a little bit late. And as soon as I walked in, one of the guys from the other trade, he said, Bad Lawson. I worked for a company named Lawson. He said, Bad Lawson. He said, Bad. He's laughing his hand. So he told me all about what they were saying in the meeting. I'm like, oh. So this morning was the first meeting I showed up to. I was a little nervous. And I thought, boy, you know, they're going to, they might, you know, make a scene right here in the meeting. They might make an example of me. So how am I going to respond? And I just determined that I was going to respond correctly. Jesus um, gave us a great example, didn't he? Um, he gave us the greatest example. And so I just thought, I'm just going to respond correctly. And um, uh, the Lord used that. Uh, it, nothing came of it. I was worried for no one said nothing to me today. So I was fine. I guess the emails and a couple things that were said over the phone was enough. So they didn't slap my hand anymore. And, um, but I was thinking about this. I listened to a podcast by Brother Nathaniel Urshan, and he was talking about when you enter into somebody's house, uh, he used the word, Jesus used the word, your peace. Your peace. And then um, Brother Nathaniel Urshan was saying that when you go and you teach Bible studies and they welcome you and they receive you, or if they receive you not, you leave and your, your peace does not stay. And, uh, but he said, uh, you know, you teach those Bible studies and you're in that home and you're in that house and you're bringing your peace with you. He said he taught this 12 lessons to this family and um, then time had gone by. And one night he's standing up there preaching. Did you hear this, Sister Christy? You, you heard it? You did? This guy walks in just straight up. And one of the ushers is like looking at Brother Urshan. Brother Urshan recognized him from this Bible study. He said, it's okay. And he motioned. And right in the middle of his preaching, he came up and he said, he remembered when he would come to the house and teach those Bible studies, and there was a peace. And I looked up the two, the two words, your peace, that phrase. And, you know, it's throughout the scriptures. 
Jesus talked about um, one place in Exodus. He, he said, you shall, the Lord sh you shall hold your peace and the Lord shall fight for you, right? The Lord shall fight for you, you shall hold your peace. It talks about in Isaiah 53, the chastisement of our peace is upon him and with his stripes we are healed. And so I started looking at these passages that talked about your peace. And I thought about that. We as Christians, when we practice this principle of deference, uh, they have the opportunity for us to come into their homes or to teach them a Bible study or to come into their lives and bring peace. Something they haven't experienced. They haven't been able to have a right relationship outside of a true Christian. They've had relationships, but, you know, there was something on a news clip today that I saw on my phone. It came up, and it said that, um, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but it said Kim Kardashian and her boyfriend are broke up at, after nine months. And they're speculating about who's going to be next. And it says, here's a list of all the relationships they've had, the famous ones, you know. And um, there's a lot of people that go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, and you're never, ever going to find what you need outside of Jesus Christ. It's just not going to happen. And so when we have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it makes it possible for somebody else to have a right relationship with us. Because when we're in a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we treat other people right. We treat our neighbors right. We treat our brothers right. They may not treat us right, but we treat them right. Even if they might get in our face a little bit, we treat them right. And imagine that one person who maybe at first they don't, care much for Christianity, but the only really right relationship they had was with you. Every time they were around you, you treated them right. You were an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like that, that song said, let them see you in me. Our desire is to let them see the Lord Jesus Christ. We might be the only mediator between them and the Lord Jesus Christ that they've ever seen. Because all the other relationships they've had haven't been right. So let's do that. Deference is the primary principle of every standard. Does the Lord care? He cares. You know, the, if you want to pay attention to every time Jesus was angry, what, did you, what, what, what do you notice? When we mistreat others... I might mess up, I might make a mistake, but he said, he goes and he overturns the tables of the money changers, and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations you made it a den of thieves, because they set up their tables in the court of the Gentiles, in their prayer room. And this is a place where the Gentiles were to go and pray in that outer court. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So you mistreat your brothers. You mistreat your, we see it in, in, in Matthew 18, right? In that 
parable, the king and the servant, he forgave him 10,000 talents. And he goes out and says the same, 100 pence, he couldn't forgive his brother. And then at that point, then you see the wrath of the king. Then he called him, you wicked servant, when he mistreated his fellow servant. So he is concerned about how you treat your brothers and sisters. You have to remember deference. It's a beautiful thing when you understand it. Standards are beautiful when you have the right purpose and principle of deference behind it. So that's it. Praise the Lord. There's plenty of people that had looked okay on the outside, right? Jesus even said, you know what? On the outside, you're like these polished sepulchers, right? But inside, you're full of dead men. You look beautiful. He didn't condemn the outward. He condemned what was not, you know, it was just like the inside of the cup was filthy. And so... Um, there's a lot of people, and I used to think that way. I used to think, man, the higher standard, that makes you holy. It doesn't. It doesn't make you more holy. But understanding that principle of deference, not desiring to be a stumbling block to my brothers and sisters, it's a beautiful thing. So we go to a church. I shared this before. I'll call up the pastor and say, hey, uh, hey can, your, can your family sing? I'm like, sure, can you Send me your platform standards because I want to be respectful to any of your platform standards. And I've had them send them to me. And I show my family, this is the platform standard, so this is what we're going to be respectful of because we are guests in another church. And so it's a beautiful thing. And we get up there and we sing and, and uh, the people, uh, they really receive us. But imagine if I stood up there and violated one of the principles of what their church taught. Maybe it might be okay with somebody, but there might be somebody sitting out there thinking, how could he be disrespectful to what we teach and believe here? And they might not hear anything I have to say, even if it might come from God. So deference is a powerful principle. If we really get it, we really understand it. Let's not be a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters. Amen.